Alright, turn to uh, Galatians 4, and we'll read the section of Scripture that we're in. Galatians chapter 4. Then, after we read that, then we'll be going into Romans. So as you're passing through Galatians, you might stick a pen or a piece of paper in Romans, because we'll be going back to Romans. But Galatians chapter 4. Chapter 4, and let's start, we'll start reading at verse, well, let's go ahead and move back up. Verse 6, we'll read from 6 down. It says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth his, uh, sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are, have, are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you uh, labor in vain. Now, we're, we've been looking at this part here in verse 9 where uh, Paul is uh, talking to the Galatians in, in the aspect of, and we looked, if you, if you remember back up in uh, uh, early in verse uh, chapter 4, he said, in starting verse 1, now I say unto, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from his servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors, until the time appointed of the Father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And if you remember, whenever we was going through those passages there, we learned that the elements of the world, and now, here in uh, verse 9, the beggarly elements that is being talked about here, or the rudiments of the world, or the rudiments, uh, uh, the beggarly rudiments, the word elements there can mean rudiments, what that's talking about is elementary things, okay? Or first beginnings. In other words, it can mean like whenever we first begin to learn as a child, what's the first thing you start learning in school? A, B, C, one, two, three. Okay? Um, or uno, dos, tres. In some instances. <laughs> Uh, but what we learn is the elementary things or the rudiment things, the things that are the very basis things, right? Mm -hmm. And Paul is saying that we were given the law for a purpose. There was a rudimentary reason for the law to be given to us. And the first thing we learn in, in becoming, or not in becoming a Christian, in being a Christian, the first thing we learn whenever the Lord grants us repentance and faith, is he shows us by the law of God that we are incapable of keeping the law of God. That there is no hope for us of righteousness in trying to keep the law. That's the rudiment, that is the elementary, that is the beggarly elements, the base elements 
of Christianity is knowing that I can't do anything. None of my works will satisfy God. None of my works will please God. None of my works can merit a salvation of a holy God. That's the very base thing. Now, a lot of people think that the base thing is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But the base thing of, of understanding the salvation that's in Christ, the gospel, the basis thing is to know that we cannot, by law-keeping, please God. The law was not given to us to, to bring in righteousness or holiness in us at all. And so that's what Paul is referring to when he is referring to these uh, elements of the world or the base and beggarly elements uh, wherein uh, you desire to be in bondage again. So basically his, uh, his questioning of the Galatians here is he's saying, listen, you've been preached the gospel. You were shared with this glorious gospel that Christ has been your substitute. That he lived the perfect life of obedience and that obedience, all that law keeping was placed to your account as if you have kept all the law. Because you can't keep it, he kept it for you. That he died the death that you deserve because of your sin. So he died in your place, you don't have to experience that death. And he raised for your justification. He came back alive for your justification so that God, being satisfied with all that Christ did, is now satisfied with you because you have been united with Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world. You've been united in Christ. And so what he did for you goes to your account. So God looks at you as he did on Christ Jesus. He looked on Christ Jesus in his perfect obedience he looked on Christ Jesus in his death for sin, and he accounted that to you. That's the glorious gospel that was told to the Galatians. And now Paul is saying, now you are free from the law. You never, the Galatians, remember, now there were some Jews among the Galatians and their churches, but for the most part, the Galatian churches were Gentile churches. And these Gentiles never was under law. They never had been given the law of Moses or any other law. They were not under the Mosaic Law. And the Judaizers that were coming to their churches, they were coming and telling them, hey, you got to be circumcised and you got to keep the Law of Moses to be saved or to stay saved. Mm -hmm. And Paul's coming back and saying, anybody that preaches that gospel is not a servant of Christ and let him be anathema, let him be cursed because that is not the gospel. And so he said, the gospel that I preach to you is a gospel of free grace. The gospel of, of Christ alone for your salvation. He did everything for you, and all you have to do, or all you do, is look to Him. Trust Him as your salvation. Look to Him for your obedience, as your obedience. Look to Him as your uh, substitute. Look to Him for everything that God demands, requires, everything. Look to Christ. He fulfilled that for you. And not to the law. And so Paul is saying, why, since you've heard that message, since you received that message, since you rejoiced in that message, how come you're wanting to go back to the law that you never was under, plus that law is the very elementary things that we learned that we can't keep it. And so Paul here again is, 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 is questioning these people. If you remember back, I think it was back in Galatians 3, uh, verse 1, he said, oh foolish Galatians, whenever we have this mindset that we can perform a righteousness by keeping the law or doing good deeds before God, 
It's foolishness because the Bible has clearly taught us that the flesh profits nothing. It can't do anything good. The only thing that is good is what has been born in us, that new creation that is from above, the Spirit of God in us, that is what is performing all the works that God requires in us. The ordained works that God has ordained for us from the foundation of the world, it's the Spirit of God who does those works in us by growing us in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, the fruits of the Spirit, those are the works that have come out in our heart uh, and it's not the outward fleshly works of law-keeping. But Paul said, O foolish Galatians, Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Remember, we talked about that. Whenever they heard this message that, uh, from these men, these men were bewitching them. Uh, they were, they were, uh, uh, they were leading them away. That ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. What was obeying the truth? You remember? We talked about that. How is it, how do we obey the truth? Well, we obey the truth not in law keeping, but by believing on Christ Jesus. That's what obeying the truth means. Jesus' commands to us is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our command is, and love your brother. Okay? We are to love the brethren, and we are to look and believe on Christ Jesus. That's the way that we walk as a Christian. We don't walk by the rule of law, but we walk by the rule of faith. We walk in faith, trusting Christ Jesus. That's how we obey the truth. It says, You should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So see, we didn't receive the Spirit by doing law keeping. And so now he says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? See, we were saved in the aspect of experiential. And I'm going to pause here for just a minute because this is, seems to be a, 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 an ongoing debate that I keep getting wrapped up in and brought, dragged into uh, from men. It is we, we need to be careful and not confuse being quickened of God and, and being converted of God. Those are two separate works of the Spirit. And we need to not be confused in the difference between salvation... And conversion. Salvation, we are saved by what Christ did. Okay, Christ, whenever he died, was buried, and resurrected, that saved every elect child of grace before the cross, after the cross. Now I hold to the, and I believe that the Bible bears this out, that that was laid to the accounts of everybody before the cross and everybody after the cross, before the foundation of the world. God declared that, decreed that, predestinated that, and that was the basis of the new covenant. And Christ stood as our surety even before the foundation of the world, so that all the elect, before and after the cross, stood as uh, God's children before uh, we ever fell in Adam. So I believe that our salvation began in eternity Christ came in time to secure that. That's what it was based upon. Okay? You can't get away from the cross. There has to be the death of Christ, right? That is what is the basis of that. And nothing that we do gets us there. Okay? We can't do anything to get us into that. Only Christ, by election, 
and by his work on the cross are we saved. Okay? So there's this ongoing debate that we are saved at the moment that we believe. That's when we're saved. And there's guys going out saying we can't be saved unless someone preaches to you and you hear the gospel. Christ can't save you apart from that. And I don't believe the Bible bears that out. I believe that a man can be saved without hearing the gospel. I believe the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit quickens the child of grace. The Holy Spirit teaches the child of grace. The Holy Spirit... Now, we might not have full knowledge of of that information, but whenever we do, whenever Christ grants us repentance and faith, then we begin to believe the gospel. I'll give you a good example. You remember Cornelius. Cornelius... He uh, was a man, and the Bible says that he was a man who feared God. And he gave his alms unto the Lord and unto the poor. And that God seen that, that he, that he feared him. And which the Bible says that, that, the, uh, that the reprobate cannot fear the Lord. They do not fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the very fact that, that, uh, that Cornelius was fearing the Lord means that he had been quickened of God. Because a person that is not quickened does not fear the Lord. It's only whenever we're quickened, made spiritual, that we begin to fear the Lord. But Cornelius has said that he feared the Lord. He gave alms to the brethren or to the to to uh, to the to the people, and then the Bible says that the Lord heard his prayers. That the he said, "Your prayers have come unto me as a memorial." So so God is saying that, "Hey, your prayers is a memorial to me." Now a, a quickened only a quickened person. Can do that, okay? Only a quickened person can have prayers that are a, a memorial to God, mm-hmm. okay? So Cornelius had every sign of being a quickened man, but he had never heard the gospel. But Peter came later, preached the gospel, and what did it, what did what happened whenever he first came? Cornelius even bowed down to him, you know. And Peter said, "Hey, don't bow down to me," you know. Why? Because Cornelius hadn't been granted repentance and faith to understand the truth of the gospel. The gospel was preached to Cornelius, and what happened? He repented of his wrong thinking, and he began to believe the right thinking about the gospel. Now, he was already quickened before the gospel got to him. And then whenever preached the gospel, because he was already quickened, because he already had a spiritual understanding given to him, a spiritual um, uh, 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 ability. Um, we uh, he was then able to uh, hear and see spiritual things. Then, whenever the gospel was preached to him, he understood and he believed because he was given faith. Faith is what reached out and believed that truth. But that truth was already in his heart. That truth was already there. He just hadn't heard it. The, the, the Spirit had already taught him those things, but yet he had not heard it to believe it. And so, um, there's this issue of thinking that we are saved at a moment in time whenever we believed on Christ, repented of our sin, come to the front of a church, was baptized, joined a church, Whatever thing, light candles or whatever it is that you think that you have to do, that it's at that point that we're saved. But brethren, we are saved by Christ alone. What happens when we believe and repent are fruits of that salvation. It's fruits of the Spirit. 
The Bible says that, that faith is a gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Repentance is granted. You are granted repentance, the Bible says. That means that repentance isn't something that we can do in our flesh on our own. That it's something that only the Spirit can produce in us, and that is to turn us from the wrong thinking of false, self-righteous gospel. And that's basically what repentance is all about. You, you hear preaching all over the place, and I used to be one of these types of preachers, that repentance is all about we need to repent of our sin. Repent, turn away from it, don't go back to it ever again. But how many of us, the, the dog returns to its vomit, doesn't it? We continue to go back to our sin. Why is that? It's because our flesh can't do anything else. Repentance isn't so much about repenting of your sin. Surely we should ask God for forgiveness and turn from that and try to try as much as we can to not do those actions again. But brethren, in our flesh dwells sin. Our, our flesh has sin and dwelling in it to where that's all it is. It, it's not just the actions we do that are sin, but it's the nature that we have. The nature of Adam is a sinful nature. So whether or not we do those actions, the sinful nature in and of itself, that's why the Bible says uh, that um, the wages of sin is death. Not the wages of sins, plural, but the wages of sin is death, singular. The wages of being a sinner that has a sin nature that produces sins, plural, is death. See, everything that we are apart from Christ Jesus is sinful, and it is deserving of death. Whether we're actually making the action of sin or just being who we are, we are, uh, we are worthy of wrath and damnation. So whenever we talk about being saved and whenever we talk about um, uh, uh being born from above and repentance, repentance is a change of mind because we think in religion thinking, we think that we can please God by doing good or please God by keeping the law. And that is self-righteousness. The Bible calls that self-righteousness. And that is a sin against God. To actually think that you can keep the whole law or keep the law for righteousness is a sin. Now, I'm not saying that we don't desire to do righteous. We do desire to do righteous. We, we continue to talk about Paul in the 7th chapter of Romans, where he says, you know, I want to do good, but I find that I can't do it. I desire in my inner man to do the things of the law, and to do the things that are right and that are holy, but I can't do it because my flesh cannot perform those things. And so he says, I will serve the law of God with my mind, but I'll serve the law of sin with my, my flesh. That it, all I can do is want to and desire to be holy and righteous, but in this flesh, I'll never be that way. We don't progress, progressively become more holy. We don't progressively sin less and less and less and less because this flesh, all it can do is sin. The only time that we get to that point is whenever we are glorified at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and this body is put down and that glorified body is put on. Then we will be without sin. So repentance isn't so much about repenting and not and, and quitting sin. And I've heard this, I've said this, I have friends and family who believe this and teach this, that they believe that we can sin less and less and less. Brother, I don't know about you, but my experience has been that I still sin. I still struggle with sin. 
I still struggle with the same sins that I had even before I come to know the Lord Jesus. I still struggle with those things. Can I outwardly refrain from things? Yes. Anybody can. Even a non-believer can do those things. I mean, we know lots of people that are not Christians that have quit being drunkards. You know, they got sober. Quit doing drugs. They're no longer a drug addict. You know, is that that don't mean anything. Moral reform is not proof that we are born again, that we are converted of God. Repentance, what repentance shows is not a quitting of sin, but a looking to Christ who took our sin and trusting Him alone. That's what we repent from. We re- repent from thinking that we can quit sinning and do righteousness and look to Christ alone as our righteousness. That's what walking in obedience is, and that's what repentance is all about. Repentance is turning that way. And so we have this confusion confusion that if we quit doing this and start doing this, then we're all right. But the case is, is we're going to continue to do this. It's our mindset, or it's the faith that's given us by Christ Jesus to trust that all of that has been taken care of by Christ, and that we will just trust in his righteousness alone and not try to earn that righteousness before God by our law-keeping, by our own self-righteousness. See, that's what the Pharisees was trying to do. They was trying to earn their way into heaven by their own righteousness. And they thought that they could do it. Jesus said, you know, you search the scripture in hopes that you can find eternal life, but those scriptures speak of me. See, they're saying if you were hoping for a righteousness that's going to get you to heaven, you need to look to me, not to your law-keeping, not to your obedience to a law, because nobody can keep the law. And so there's this confusion out there that salvation uh, requires some conditions. But salvation doesn't require any conditions, brethren. Salvation is completely objective to, uh, uh, to all of us. It's not subjective to whether or not you hear the gospel or you don't. And Cornelius was a was that man. He heard the gospel and he repented from what he thought was religion righteousness. And he turned to Christ and began to believe on Christ alone for his righteousness whenever he heard that. And that may be like that. Now some to some people, that may happen all at the same time. They may they may come and whenever they're converted, uh, they begin to believe, uh, you know, God may quicken them and immediately have the gospel preached to them. Some people may be over time. I grew up in an Armenian uh, church environment my whole entire life, but it wasn't until my uh, 30s or so, I think it was my 30s, uh, around, you know, 2000, year 2000, uh, that, uh, that I believed that I was converted. So all that time, you know, was I quickened? I don't know. I was doing a lot of religious things. I, I thought I loved the Lord. I thought I loved His Word. I studied it all the time. But that still don't mean anything. Was I converted then? I don't know. But I do know I was converted whenever I stopped believing that I could gain a righteousness by the law. I know I was converted whenever I looked away from all that and began to believe the gospel of Christ alone for salvation. So how long was I quickened before that? I don't know. I'll be honest, I don't know. Just like Cornelius, how long was he converted before he actually believed God? I don't know. John the Baptist, he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. When did he begin to start believing the gospel? 
I don't know. We know that he leapt in his mother's womb whenever the, the, the word of Christ came. But had he heard a preacher preach to him? Had he heard the gospel preached to him? Did he make a profession of faith and believe in order to get that? No, he didn't. See, that's what we're trying to say is the work of salvation is is not only monergistic in the way that Christ was the one who died for us, but it's monergistic in the way that it's brought to us experientially. We begin to be, we are quickened by Christ alone. That's outside of any work that we do. And we are converted. We are given repentance and faith and understanding by the sovereign grace of God at the appointed time that he desires to give it to us. And that's a work of his either. We can't do all the studying. We can't convince people. I'm preaching. And that's not to try to convince you of what's right and wrong. It's just to confirm to you something that the Holy Spirit has already taught in your heart if he has done so. <clears throat> you remember the Bereans? What did the Bible say about the Bereans whenever Paul came and preached to the Bereans? It said the Bereans were, were more noble than those who were in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? Well, it says that they were more noble because that they received the word of the Lord. And then afterwards it says that they went home and that they uh, studied, or that they went home and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things be true. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times what we do is we, we, we put that backwards. We say, well, they went. They listened to Paul, and then they went home, and then they searched the scriptures to see whether or not what Paul said is right or wrong. No, what did it say? <clears throat> it says that they heard the word of the Lord and they received it. So that meant that they heard what Paul was preaching, and they received it in their heart as truth, even though they probably had not even heard it. But they went, and then they searched the scriptures daily to learn the truth that they already received as truth, but they went and searched the Scripture to see whether these things be the truth. See, that's what I'm saying, is the Holy Spirit teaches us first. Has there ever been a time, and I know I've gotten way off of where I was going today, but have you ever heard something or read something, studying God's Word or listening to a preacher, and there's been something that maybe the Lord has put in your heart, you've thought about something, and you've not ever heard, really heard anybody else talk about it or something, and then all of a sudden you heard a preacher preach that, and you're like, you know what? That sounds right. You know, I think that sounds right. So you go and you get your Bible out and you start looking through it and studying through there to see, you know, is it is does this seem to be the truth? It was already truth in your heart. You already felt that. There was a few things that, that uh, whenever I came out of the Southern Baptist churches <clears throat> and I began to... Uh, go to uh, Sovereign Grace conferences and preach in Sovereign Grace and things like that. There were things that was in my mind that I'd never heard growing up. There were things in the scriptures that I had questions about, but I didn't quite know how to put them together. But I knew that it seemed that this was this was right, that this what this was the truth. But I just and then all of a sudden I come across a preacher that preached it. Or come across a group of people that believed it, or or some church, other churches that believed it. I mean, we found churches that we didn't even know existed that were holding the truths that we were believing and seeing in the Scripture, but not able to fully put together everything, and had never heard before, and was and because of our upbringing, 
you have doubt, you know, I don't know, that's just not what I've ever heard, but that's what seems to be here in the Scripture, but it goes against everything that I've ever been told. Well, what had happened? Well, the, the Spirit had begun to teach you the truth, and then he brought somebody that God had ordained to preach those things or to teach those things to confirm that truth to our hearts. This is what Paul is doing here. Paul is coming again to confirm to them the truth of God that had already bore witness in their heart, but they had been bewitched. The law keepers had come back in and had began to bewitch them with the law, and it kind of sounded right as it does to all of us. All of us want to keep the law, right? We all desire to be righteous. We all desire to be holy and want to obey Christ. But what happens? The law keepers come in and they tell you, oh yeah, you've got to live by this law, you've got to keep it strict, you know. You're going to lose fellowship with the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And Paul came in and said, listen, it's never been about your law keeping. From the start to the finish, it's not about that. And so what have we been doing? <clears throat> We've been looking at why is Paul so adamant about this? Why is Paul so hard about attacking the law keeping? Is it because the law is bad? No, we learned that, right? Mm -hmm. We learned that the law isn't bad long as you preach and keep the law in what it was intended to do. And so we started looking at that, and that's kind of what we've gotten off on, is looking and starting in, in Acts, we look first that um, the disciples or the apostles made mention that the law is something that we cannot keep, that all the forefathers couldn't keep it, and why should we bear that on the Gentiles? Because they won't be able to keep it anyway because it's, a, it's an issue with our nature. It's an issue with who we are in Adam. We have an inability before God to keep the law. We cannot keep it. And so they said, you know, and we went to Acts chapter 15, and we see where they said, you know, hey, this is a yoke that is put upon the necks of these people. If we do this, it's putting a yoke. It's putting a burden. It's putting something on them that they will not be able to keep, and they will constantly be in fear. They will constantly be discouraged. And brethren, listen, that's what the law does to the child of grace. After the child of grace has been converted and knows that Christ is his salvation, if you start putting law upon him, what does that do? It begins to hurt the conscience. Why? Because we know in our heart, and all of you guys know, if you're, if you're a child of grace, you know you sin. There's sin. Whether it's outward sin, or it's the thoughts of your mind, the intentions of your heart, you know you sin. But then we try to justify how good we are based upon somebody else's sin, right? Well, I'm better than so-and-so. Well, I may not... I may not be perfect, but, you know, so-and-so over there, look at him, you know, he's worse than I am. We start measuring the standard by everybody else. But the standard is keep it all or die. That's the standard. The standard is keep the law perfectly all the time, never breaking it ever one time or die. That's the standard, brethren. The standard isn't keeping it a lot or keeping it most of the time. Keeping it 99.9% .9 of the time. That's not the standard. The standard is 100% perfection. That's the standard. And if you can't keep that, the curse of the law is death. The curse is death. The wages of sin is death. And so we've seen that the law, one of the reasons Paul is so adamant in telling these people about... 
keeping the law for righteousness is because it's a bearing yoke upon you that will continually have your conscience weighted down that you're not keeping the law and so you're always wanting thinking you're having to do more or are always in despair because you're not doing enough okay and then we also looked in Romans uh, chapter 3 and we seen that the purpose of the law was to reveal sin not to cancel sin or to keep us from sinning the law was never given to keep us from sinning or to make us righteous it was there to show us how sinful we really was. It's like a light. The light is there to shine on us. <clears throat> the kids <clears throat> went to the dentist this week. Whenever they go to the dentist, they got this big light that's over the top of them that they bring down to shine in their mouth, right? Now, whenever that light comes in, it's kind of you know, offensive. It's bright. It's right in your face and everything. That light isn't there to make the cavities go away. What's that light there for? It's to let everything be seen to show your teeth has cavities. Or your teeth doesn't have cavities, but it's to show what's there, right? The law was given to us to show us what was already there that we in our, mind, our own minds don't think is there. Right? We, we like think we're righteous. We think we're pretty good people. We think we're okay. But the law is there to remind us, to show us, to shed light on the fact that you can't keep this law. And we looked at that in uh, Romans 3. We also talked about that in uh, Romans 5, which I'll get to in just a minute. <clears throat> we also looked in Romans chapter 4 um, that... The scriptures tells us, uh, Romans 4, 14, that the scriptures tells us that if then, if the law worked, if the law produced righteousness, then there is no need for us to have faith. There's no reason for God to give us faith. If, if, if righteousness come by works, then we don't need grace and we don't need faith. We have law and we have works. Law and works is all that we need if that's the case. And everybody just has to get in there and do their best to try to live that perfect life. Okay? So the Bible tells us that whenever we preach that you have to keep the law for righteousness, then it's essentially saying then there is no need for you to live by faith. But the scripture repeatedly over and over and over again tells us that the just live by faith faith, right? They live by Christ's faith. They live upon his faith. Who do we look to? Do we live, do we, do we walk by our living or his living? We, we, we walk looking to what he did, his life for us, his death for us. We don't walk looking at ourself and what we can do. That's what these scriptures are. And see, we've got it because we've been programmed in our mind so much by works teaching that it's hard whenever we come to these verses to look at that and say, you know, man, that just, it's hard for me to grasp that because it just don't seem right. You're telling me that I'm just to look at that Christ's life and death is all, that I don't have to do anything to be pleasing to God. And that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. 
is that this life that we live, we live by His faith, not by our faith. When you try to keep the law, essentially you're saying, I'm putting my faith in my works and not in the finished work of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not, if if I'm, if, if I'm becoming confusing, just stop me and ask me to clarify. Whenever we think that we can perform a righteousness to, to get saved or to stay saved or to have some fellowship with God by keeping the law of God, then what we are saying is we are putting faith not in Christ, but in what we do in our works. And that's why Paul said that it is, if it's not of faith, then it's of works and it's no more of grace because it's, if it's by grace, it's going to be by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God. That faith is something that is, that is a gift of God. Everything that that faith done for us, which is Christ, done for us. Is a gift to you. It's not by your works. So you can't have a mixture of grace and faith. Okay? I mean, you can't have a mixture of uh, faith and works. Grace and law. Okay? It's one or the other. It's one or the other. It ceases to be that. We looked also while we were there in Romans chapter uh, 4 that that because uh, faith uh, or that uh, salvation is by grace and through faith and that uh, that it is all uh, not by works, we found that for those who try to keep the law, the only thing that it can bring on you is wrath. Is because you can't keep the law. And so the only thing that the law does, if you try to keep it, the only thing it's going to do for you is not make you righteous, but it's actually going to bring wrath uh, down upon you. And then we ended up last week talking about the purpose of the law was to uh, expose sin or to show sin. And we went to Romans chapter 5, and I spent a little bit of time on that. Uh, we recapped a teaching that I did uh, a while back. That the offense, Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And we've seen that the context of that offense, going all the way back to verse 12, was the offense of Adam. That's Adam's offense. By one man, sin entered into the world, death by sin. By one man's offense. <clears throat> Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For through the offense of one, many... Be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Not by their own merit, they're going to reign in life by Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men, to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men of the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience or offense, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. See, it's not by your obedience that you're made righteous, but it's by his obedience that you're made righteous. 
And that brings us to verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So the offense here is speaking of Adam's offense. And the law came in. Why did God begin to give law to men? The law that he gave to Adam was what? Don't eat the tree, right? Don't eat of the tree. That was the law that he gave to Adam. Don't eat that. Eat everything else. What happened? Adam lusted in his heart, was tempted, lusted in his heart, was drawn away, and was enticed, and that temptation, that lust conceived, and it brought forth sin. He took the apple, or fruit, whatever it was, he ate it, and sinned. James tells us that's how sin happens, right? So we learned last week that there was already lust in Adam's heart even before he ever sinned against God. Ever before he did the action, the nature was already there to bring forth the action. We sin because we are sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. See, sin comes from within. Sin comes from the lust of the heart. So Adam, before he could ever have sinned, had to have a nature that had a propensity to sin, that had a ability to sin, that was not able to keep the law of God. That's how God created Adam. I know that goes against a lot of teaching that I grew up under and a lot of teaching. Matter of fact, a lot of teaching that most sovereign grace preachers even preach that... uh but we got to see what the Bible says here. The Bible says that God gave the law so that Adam's sin would increase or be shown, be made manifest. So the sin was there, it just was hidden. It wasn't seen. <clears throat> and another example was with Satan, right? Remember whenever the Bible talks about Satan, whenever he in pride come and thought he could place himself above God? And the Bible said that he was perfect or that he was uh, that, uh, that, that he was right and perfect and upstanding until what? Until sin was found in him. Now, sin was found in him. That means that sin had to already be in him to be found. I give you, remember I gave you that illustration one time that if we go out there with my daughter's, uh, metal detector and start combing the ground out there and we hear beep, 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 beep. And we dig that up, and there's a gold coin out there. We found that gold coin, but her sweeping that thing over there didn't put that gold coin in the ground. The gold coin was already there. It just needed to be found. It needed to be made manifest. It needed to be brought forth to be seen. Same thing with the non-elect angels, which Satan is the head of that. The non-elect angels were never intended to stay in their, in their uh, habitat was never to stay in their first estate. They was elected to fall. That's why the Bible calls them elect angels and non-elect angels. They were non-elect. They never was, ever was decreed to stay in that same estate. And so they were created different than the non-elect angels. They were created with sin in them. And so that that sin would be found whenever Satan rose to himself thought he could be above God, the rest of them followed after him. Same thing with Adam. The nature was already there, it just had not been made manifest. So whenever the law came in, the offense abounded. The offense came forth. It showed forth the ability that 
uh, the inability that Adam had. And so whenever we preach the law, all the law is going to do is expose our inability to keep it. That's the purpose of the law. That's why God gave the law. The, God, the law was never given to make us holy. When God gave that law or any command, it's to always show us that we cannot keep it. Now, briefly today, let's look at one more verse. And let's go to Romans chapter 6. Why is Paul so emphatic to tell these Galatians, remind these Galatians, confirm to them the truth? Why is he so emphatic against that? You almost think that Paul hates the law, but he doesn't. He just puts it in its place. See, we don't hate the law. We love the law of the Lord. It is holy and good, but it's got a purpose. And that purpose isn't for our salvation or to make us righteous or keep our fellowship with God. We've got to keep it in its place. So in Romans chapter 6, and look with me if you would, uh, down at, uh, oh, let's start reading in uh, verse 11. It says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now, brother, I don't know how, how much simpler or how much plainer the scriptures can be. The child of grace is not under the law. You have been freed from the law. You have free, been freed from its demands. You've been freed from its curse. We are freed from the law. You are not under law, but under grace. Now, <clears throat> We see here that we are no longer under the law. What does that mean, to be under the law? Well, whenever we are under the law, the law is there, as I said, to crush us, to expose us, to manifest who we are in Adam, to manifest our inability, and to show for the child of grace who has spiritual eyes, it's there to show us our need for Christ Jesus. See, whenever the law comes in with this crushing blow to devastate us and leave us without hope, because that's what it does. If we're given spiritual ears, what we're hearing is, the, what the law is screaming, is that you can't keep me. I am holy, I am righteous, I am just, and you're not. And all your efforts to try to keep me are going to fail. But it never does give us any hope. The law never gives us any hope. It never does tell us, but if you'll be alright, if you'll just think this way or do... No, all the law does is expose our inability. It curses us. It's a curse. It, it, it is just a heavy weight on us all the time. 
And so to be under the law is to be under its curse. That means that it is un, that we are under its curse. The curse of the law, uh, it, and, and the wages of that is sin. I mean, is death. So if we try to keep the law and want to be under the law, then we have to abide by the dictates of the law, right? If we say, okay, well, I don't want to do this whole thing because I don't think it's right that we just have to trust in Christ alone and not do anything. So I am going to try to keep the law so that I can be pleasing to the Lord, okay? You want to go back under the law. That's what Paul's saying in our in our verse this morning, right? He was saying, you know, <clears throat> how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You desire to be back under the law. Well, if so, you're going to be in bondage again. You've been freed, but you want to be in bondage. Now, I've never been to jail, but if I've been to jail and then been set free, I don't, I'm sure I don't want to go back there. I know people and have family members that have been in jail. And that's one of the things that they say is, you go there, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back. That don't mean I don't go back. Some of them has gone back. But you don't want to go back, you know. Then why do the Gentiles, why do these Galatians want to go back under bondage? Well, because they are being bewitched. And whenever you think that you're wanting to go back under the bondage of the law for righteousness, then you're, you've been bewitched. You've been bewitched. And so why is Paul being so emphatic about this? Because there is no hope under the law. And so he's saying here plainly, you are not under the law anymore. It doesn't have any binds on you. God is not requiring you to keep anything anymore for righteousness, for holiness, for fellowship. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the law was given to them, and then a sacrificial system was given to them to follow. It wasn't to take away their sin. It wasn't to uh, reconcile them to God. The Bible clearly states that by the blood of bulls and goats, uh, that no man was ever uh, was ever saved, that God was not happy or pleased with the with the uh, shedding of the blood of bulls and goats, it was there to point and to constantly remind them that they were sinning. The sacrificial system was set up and the law system was to remind them over and over and over again. Every time I have to take in this sacrifice means that I've missed it again, missed it again. Another year that I didn't, didn't, didn't keep the law. Another year I didn't keep the law. Another year I didn't keep the law. But they were taught the gospel through that sacrificial system that there would be a Messiah coming who that would be the end of all this law keeping and sacrificial system it would put be put away for he would come and he would be our obedience he would be our sacrifice once for all once for all time and the Bible clearly states that right that Jesus is the end of the law. That he fulfilled the law. He didn't. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did fulfill it. Now some people say, well there you go. He said he didn't come to abolish it, so we're still under it. No, we're not still under it, because he fulfilled it for us. He came to fulfill the law for all that he was a surety for. 
And so you're not under that law system anymore. Some people say, well, that just means the sacrificial system. That just means the civil law. That means the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, sacrificial laws. But we're still under all these other laws. Brethren, show me anywhere in Scripture where the Bible delineates that there's differences between them. It's all or nothing. The moral law, the civil law, the ecclesiastical laws, the priesthood, all that stuff, all those things were all tied together one law. And he came and fulfilled all of them. All of it. For us. And we are no longer under that. The only law that we are under now is the law of Christ, which is the law of faith, which is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Love your brother as your neighbor. That is what we are under. That's the rule of faith. We are no longer under it. We are not under the law, but under grace. We now live under the grace system, not the law system. We live by the grace that was given to us in Christ. The grace of election. That was truly a grace. God wrote down names before the foundation of the world in a book. And he also did not write down names in a book according to Revelation. There were names that he did not write down. Meaning that known unto God were all his works, the end from the beginning. Known unto God were all the people that he would ever create and all their names and who they would be. And in the book of life, he wrote names, and then there was people that he did not write names. Election and reprobation began in the eternal counsel of God. And so with Christ being our surety, Christ being our, uh, uh, our, uh, our substitute, he stood in our place before the foundation of the world. We were elected in Christ Jesus. So we see that grace was given to us before anything was ever made. But brethren, grace was given to us here whenever Christ came and died for us. And now grace is being given to us whenever He gives us repentance and faith to trust in Him. He gives us faith that whenever we are walking and we sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and we go to Christ and acknowledge our sin and we ask Him to forgive us and we always hear the sound from His voice crying, the blood is covered at all. We never go to God and, and He says, you've sinned too many this time, I can't cover that. No, it's all been covered in the blood once for all. That's grace. That's grace that's being given to us. For us to think that we're a child of grace, that's grace. Christ has graced us with the Spirit of God in us to convince us of sin and to give us assurance of our uh, kinship or heirship with Christ Jesus. So brethren, if you want to go back under the law, you lose all that stuff. You lose that because for one, you're going to be under the curse. You have to keep it all or die. If you go back underneath that, you will not have, you can't have grace because it's all of works. And if it's all of works, it's not of faith and it's not grace. Because grace is how you're saved. If you want to go back underneath that, you're not going to have assurance because you're going to constantly be bombarded with the fact that you can't keep the law. There will be no assurance in your heart. The only way that we can stand with full assurance is looking unto Christ, our Savior, as our only hope. Our hope is in Him, not in our law-keeping. Our hope is in what He done and not what we do. 
So Paul has been emphatically telling these Galatians, listen, on every level, this is wrong. On every level, this is wrong. Why do you want to go back under that system that does nothing for your spiritual good? It will not get you any closer to God, make you any more righteous or holy in yourself. All it's going to do is be bad for you. So that's why Paul continues this message. Now, we're going to stop right there. And we'll pick up again here in Romans next week, uh, Lord willing. Uh, But uh, we're going to continue on. Like I said, I'd like to just kind of keep trucking through all the New Testament. And, and, And the reason I'm doing this is to solidify what Galatians is teaching us. That any teaching of law keeping is another gospel. It's not found in the gospel. The gospel is completely opposite of law keeping. The gospel is a gospel of grace. The law is a, is a gospel of works. Okay? It's, it, the law, all it preaches is works, works, works. And the Bible is clear that no one is going to be saved by works. So that's why it's so emphatic. I also want to do this because I want to show that all of the scriptures are teaching this, not just a little segment to one particular group of people who was being bothered by Judaizers. This is for us today. This is for We still have Judaizers today that are preaching these things to us, that we still need to keep these laws, that we still need to continue and make a righteousness for ourselves that will keep us pleasing before God. No, Jesus is what makes us pleasing before God. His righteousness imputed to us is the righteousness that we stand before God in, not our own. And so, to some this may seem like, you know, well, why are you so much against the law? And again, I want to reiterate, I've said it now two or three times even today, we are not against the law. We just want to make sure that we keep it in its context that the scripture keeps it in and what its purpose is there. And it is in no way me telling you, well, go out and sin all you want because it's all right. That's not what I'm saying either. I, I have been, been in conversations with people before who call me an antinomian. And, uh, you know, they, they just tell me, well, you just want to go out and sin all you want. I said, and I tell them, I said, I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want to sin at all. Mm-hmm. I sin more than I want. I asked him, I said, do you sin as much as you want? <laughs> I don't want to sin. But I do. That's, that's the nature of who we are. But the law isn't, isn't there. And they think that that's the end of uh, this teaching, that this teaching will breed that in people's hearts. And I pray that God would keep us from that mentality. For those that are watching or listening to this uh, on Sermon Audio, or, and all y'all here, the preaching of the gospel and, and the preaching of the distinction between the law and grace is not there to give you a license to go out and just sin as much as you want. But if you are a child of grace, your conscience is going to bear upon you on that. The Holy Spirit is going to bear upon you. We don't want to sin. The law doesn't, I mean, the preaching uh, uh, that we are no longer under the law has not made me just say, hey, I want to just go out and do all the sinning that I want to do. Now, I will say this, it has freed me up on some things that man's tradition and man's laws have been put upon me that have burned on my conscience before. But whenever you see that, hey, 
we're not under the law, including including the traditions of men, you know. Men's traditions get ingrained in our mind just as much as the law does sometimes. <laughs> Things that aren't even in Scripture. You know, I don't, we've not really discussed this uh, with you guys, uh, Kevin and Jacqueline, but, you know, our church believes that uh, uh, that whenever we take the Lord's Supper, we have it with unleavened bread and wine. But there's a lot of churches that believe that Christians shouldn't even drink alcohol, period, even in the Lord's Supper and everything. Well, that used to be a conviction of mine that I can't drink that because that's got alcohol in it. And whenever the Lord taught me from the Scriptures... That freed me in my conscience from that. And it was the same thing here at our church. We had people that was in our church that their conscience told them that they shouldn't be drinking wine because it was had alcohol in it. And so we did a study through the scriptures about that. And whenever they heard those things, the Holy Spirit brought them to an understanding of that. And it freed them where they were able to partake of the Lord's Supper biblically, scripturally, without their conscience being bothered. Mm-hmm. See where the where the spirit of the Lord is, where the where the truth is being preached. There's liberty. Mm-hmm. You shall know the truth, and it shall set set you free. See, whenever we preach Christ, it sets us free from the bondage that men put upon us and the law puts upon us. So <clears throat> that's what I mean by that. We don't want to do unrighteousness. We don't think that we have to go out here and sin all that we want to sin. We don't want to do that. But we just understand the purpose of the law and why it's given to us. So anyway, has anybody got any questions or comments or anything you'd like to add to this or any other point that you'd like to make about it or questions that you got about what's been said? Maybe confusion about something that I've said. Or I always want to give that time. I don't know if you're reading, but uh, Paul answered that question in the verse 15 and 16, right? Um, so that's clear that uh, not because we are in grace we are allowed to sin like I like you said and that's my <laughs> comment yeah yeah shall we uh, shall we sin that grace might abound mm-hmm. God forbid that word God forbid that, that word is meganoito in the Greek it is like a really strong absolutely positively not no, we don't sin that grace might abound. Matter of fact, what grace does is restrains a lot of times. We have that restraint. See, that's the good thing about not being under the law and not being uh, under the dominion of sin anymore. Is Before, all we could do is sin. But now God is restraining. Now, he restrained sin in the, in the reprobate as well. Remember Abimelech. He restrained Abimelech's sin where he didn't lay with a, 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 a Abraham's wife. But he restrains sin all the time. The Bible says that the wrath of man shall praise him. The remainder of wrath, that word wrath there means sin. Or it means a, um, uh, iniquity. The, the remainder of wrath, God restrains. So there is some sin that God has decreed to take place for his purposes, just like the crucifying of Jesus. But the remainder of wrath, the wrath, the, the wrath that man could in, incur, the sins that man could do because of the depth of their depravity, God restrains those mm-hmm. because they're not in His purpose. And so He restrains that sin. Mm-hmm. But see, from the child of grace, we're not under the dominion of sin. It no longer has its hold on us that Christ now uh, 
And grace now reigns within us. And so we have that grace that God has given us to overcome that sin. Now that doesn't mean that we, that we can control that. We still are at the, at the benevolent hand of God in giving us grace. If I overcome a sin, if I, uh, refuse and, 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 you know, if I'm temp- being tempted and then I, you know, overcome that temptation and, and don't do that, well that wasn't because I was so strong in my will to do that. That was because God gave me grace and He restrained me. It's always about what God does. <clears throat> Remember, brethren, He is the potter and we are the clay. He's, he's molded us into whatever it is that He desires, and He's the one that makes us the way that we are and do the things that we do. Some people call that being a puppet, but the biblical term is being a clay pot. We're a clay pot. And we do whatever He has designed us to do. The Bible says that He is uh, doing all things after the counsel of His own will, not after your own will. He's doing all things according to the counsel of his will. And so, but yeah, brother, I appreciate that. That is uh, the truth of those things. Paul said, you know, the preaching of grace alone does not put within the heart of the child of grace. It puts within the heart of the religionist, the heart of the Pharisee, saying, oh, good, then if I'm not under the law, then I'm going to go out and sin, because that's what the, that's what the person wants. See, that's what the Pharisees were so uptight about. They were so mad at Jesus and those disciples because they wanted to do that, but they couldn't because the law was telling them, you can't do that. See, they wouldn't be religious if they did that. They wouldn't be those whitewashed sepulchers that everybody saw on the outside as these big holy men that was uh, admired by all the people, you know, as being the most obedient ones of all of them. No. They wanted to do those things and they were mad because they couldn't do those things because the law was bothering their conscience. But see, the disciples, they were free. Remember whenever they walked through that field, I don't mean to keep going on, but remember when they walked through the field and they was gathering that wheat to eat with their hands and the Pharisees said, hey, what are you doing, man? These guys are breaking the Sabbath. And he reminded them about David eating the uh, the showbread. See, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, Jesus was telling them, listen, the law was made for a purpose. Anyway, we'll get into some of that other stuff also as we go on. Matter of fact, the, the verses that uh, that Kevin brought up is in my list of verses to look at coming up soon. All right, anybody else got any questions or comments or corrections? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the scriptures that you have preserved for us that reveal your son, that reveal your righteousness, that reveals your salvation. Father, we thank you for these cherished words that we have to look at as reminders, as encouragement, uh, as exhortations to us. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful for them. We are thankful for the work of Christ Jesus and that he has uh, cleansed us of every sin, that he has made us justified before God. And Father, we we, we thank you that we are no longer uh, under the, the curse and the bondage of the law, but that we have been given freedom in Christ Jesus. 
And so, Father, I pray that all those that are here, as they hear these things preached, as oftentimes, as we've mentioned, uh, we can we can become confused and think that, well, that's just going to lead to a life of licentiousness. But, Father, we know that for the child of grace, there is that restraint of the Holy Spirit. There is that desire in the inward man for righteousness and for serving the law of God. And so, Lord, we know that uh, many times that we will be restrained because of what the Spirit does within us. And so, Lord, we, we pray that there will not be confusion on that. And those that are listening or watching, Lord, they might understand that the reason that we are to preach this is not to exalt our sin or to exalt uh, the ability to sin or even to exalt uh, being out from under the law, although we should rejoice that we are not under it. But, Lord, it is... The, the, the preaching and teaching is to exalt the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who has accomplished all these things for us that we don't have to worry about trying to keep these things for righteousness that he has uh, secured that righteousness for us and that he has given us justification before God because of his faith. And so Lord, I pray that people will see and understand that as the Spirit gives them revelation of it but this is for exaltation of Christ and not a license to sin. Lord, we just are so grateful today to be able to meet once again. And we ask, Lord, that you just might bless this day and be with us this week as we leave this place. That you would not only keep us in safety, Lord, but you might give us opportunity to share and minister the gospel to those that we are around. And that if any be of your sheep that hear that, Lord, that you might draw them to yourself. Uh, that you might draw them to, uh, uh, to, to this place of worship uh, where we meet together uh, in this gathered assembly, Lord. Uh, again, we want to lift up Daniel to you today, Lord. We just pray for him and his healing. Pray for his family, Lord, as well. Uh, we pray if, if they are yours, Lord, that you would bring them into conversion. We ask, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would minister to them and through them. Uh, we especially ask, the Lord, for Daniel as he comes. Lord, we pray that our church here would be a ministry to him uh, as well, uh, seeing the things that he has to live through. Uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, that you just uh, be merciful to them uh, and gracious. Uh, thank you again, Lord, for um, the uh, uh, salvation that we have in Christ. And it's in his name that we can pray. Amen.